Welcome back everyone. This is The 23 and I'm Chris Kirkby. Today's guest is Kia Baker. Now Kia is busy to say the least and for me to do her biography and introduction would be probably doing her a disservice. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand it over to the expert. Kia, can you just run us through a bit who you are and all the different things you cover in your busy life? Well, of course. Um, I first of all want to say thank you for inviting me. I am so happy to be here. And um, well, I am a success coach at London Real Academy, as you know, where we met, as well as I have a couple of shows of my own, which is the Female Veterans Podcast, um, which I created since I'm a Navy veteran. And um, I share female veteran stories, um, their true stories in their own voice and um, good or bad, we share the truth as well as Hot Topics Live, which is a live stream show that I do because I like to explore positive messages and how people connect and improve their mindset and their life and share that with everyone. So I do that with a co-host um, every Wednesday and Thursday. And um, I'm on the board of directors of a not-for-profit uh, called Hope for Veterans, which helps female veterans in the uh, Florida region, which is where I used to live. And um, I work with other not-for-profits to help both male and female veterans um, with workshops and housing and getting them off the street. Um, I'm a mom <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just also working with the Veterans Channel to create programming for female veterans as well. Okay, so I mean, among, among all those various things you do there's a obviously there's a very strong theme running through there um yeah. of, of being a female veteran so when you were what did, uh, did you do in the navy kia uh well i was what we call a hospital corpsman so i was trained to be sort of like a medic most people are more familiar with that term and um what i actually did was i worked in the medical records department for the first probably year and a half, I was on active duty. And then for the remainder of the time, I worked in the pharmacy doing a job equivalent to that of a pharmacist. Okay. And so from your time in service in the Navy, what was it that really wanted, what that was really driving you to, to help and work with veterans when you, when you left active duty? Well, actually, I, when I left active duty, I wanted to put my military life behind me in a way. I found it difficult to get hired um, with, in, within the corporate world um, with a veteran information on my resume. So all my military training, all of that mattered very little. And in fact, actually kept me from moving forward. So I had to remove it there for a while, unfortunately. And um, and it was like through a series of events that landed me in sort of a bad situation. And um, my friends were there to support me, many of those who are veterans. And so when I got back up on my feet again, I sort of started coming across other veterans who didn't know as much as I knew about the services that we were and benefits that we were entitled to. So I started to just sort of help them. And it wasn't anything I intended to do. It just kept happening. And me being the person that I am, I would just help people. 
and sort of give them the information that I had. And that sort of built over a 20 year period. I mean, it could be as simple as reminding a vet to take their meds, you know, keeping in touch with them, checking on them if I know that they're having a hard time. It was nothing planned or even organized. It was really um, grassroots, if you will. And, um, and then one day I thought, you know, I saw an article about um, two actually, the one was about the rise of female veteran suicides. Um, and the other one was about the rise of female veteran homelessness. And I thought, oh my God, I have to do something. I have to start um, speaking out and I have to start drawing attention to these issues to help my veteran sisters. And, um, and that's kind of how it all began. I have a business mentor who suggested that we go and feed um, some homeless female veterans in Los Angeles where we were at the time. And when we spoke to the outreach coordinator at the vet center there to try to find out where we could go to deliver food, uh, she said, if you really wanna help female veterans, then you need to give them a voice because the perception of the female veteran, um, the veteran itself is largely male. So really people don't even think of veterans as being female, even today. And there are more and more of us every day. So um, I took that really to heart. And um, the next thing I knew I was at London Real Academy. Okay, I see. And um, for me, I was just thinking, going back to what you said about the, the experience as a veteran holding you back in the, in the corporate world, I mean, and I know the corporate world well, and I know that it can be a rough place at times. And um, what do you, did you ever discover what it was about that level of training and expertise that was deterring people from giving you employment or letting you progress? Or have you had to figure that out yourself? Well, I think it was a combination of either being perceived to be overqualified for the position that I was applying for, or that veterans have sort of a bad rep from the non-era veterans. Um, for example, PTSD issues. Um, people didn't understand the female veteran. What does that even mean, right? Like, how is she gonna be? How is she gonna behave? Like, what is her mindset gonna be like? Or, you know, if they had an experience with a veteran that wasn't a good one, it would be, you know, so this woman's gonna be even worse, right? <laughs> You're gonna add this guy was unmanageable and you know quote unquote crazy um and she is then you add her being a woman on top of it and it's going to be a mess so i think that was part of that old school way of thinking and then in addition i think it had a lot to do with um people just not understanding the value that a veteran brings to the table at the time and um and just being you know, partially sort of like um, affirmative action in a way, sort of not uh, appreciating the fact that they're required to hire a veteran. So maybe they wanna hire um, a friend or, or someone else, but maybe their corporation required them to have so many veterans on staff. So they felt obligated to do it and they didn't really wanna put a veteran in that role. Maybe they had previously selected um, a poor candidate and then it just soured them on it. So there were a lot of factors at play here as to why at the time being a veteran was um, not a desirable quality for uh, a lot of corporations. 
And then um, that changed after 9-11 though. Okay. And that triggered and that triggered a movement for people to what do you think it was? Do you think it was like um like just like a wake up call to accept? Or what do you think it was? Obviously, I know 9-11 is going to trigger a lot of things in a lot of people's minds. But what do you think that did to the, you know, the, the US population to make people just kind of open the, their arms and the minds to, to employing veterans more? So, in my opinion, there was a massive push to support our troops because of what happened. Right. They didn't want what happened to our Vietnam veterans to happen again, I think, as part of it. As, as you well know, when they came back, they were really mistreated um, and disregarded. In fact, a lot of the benefits that we enjoy today come from our Vietnam veteran brothers and sisters fighting for them, for us. Um, so I think that was part of it. And then the other part of it, I think, is that they really wanted support for this war that we've been fighting pretty much ever since. So um, to have that public support was important. So I think there was a big sort of push or maybe campaign, if you will, to um, really rally the general public behind the military in general. And part of that is respecting the veteran. Yep. Okay. And um, so talk to me about being a success coach. What does what does that entail, and what you know? What's your favorite part of it? The tech, the clue is in the title. I'm I'm you know I'm not a complete idiot, obviously, but it's nice nice to know what goes on underneath the the uh, the title that kind of shows you the area that you operate in. Well, I really just love to help people. I I am a creator. I can't I can't get enough of creating things. <laughs> And I can only create so many shows, so many businesses on my own for myself, because you can manage a million things, right? So um, helping other people bring their visions to life is actually a, a very selfish thing for me to do, because it means that I get to fulfill that um, passion of helping someone create something really amazing and put it out into the global community and see them thrive and success and have their success. And, um, and also the transformation that goes along with that process of learning this new thing and really um, creating something that you can be proud of, um, especially with London Real and the way that we work there, it's, it's really about the transformation. And it's such a gift to be able to help facilitate that. Yep. Okay. And so, so when let's talk about something a bit more, probably a, a broader topic, but so I know it's something that you think is is very powerful, and it is the power of choice. Mm -hmm. So, how do you think that the the power of choice impacts the way we view or perceive events around us? I feel like a lot of people may not realize how powerful that gift of free will or that ability to choose is, right? Sometimes we think that we're stuck and we feel stuck, but at in any moment you have this ability to choose something else, right? You, you have this ability to make a change 
at any moment. And that's so powerful because once you realize that you have the power to create your life, your circumstances, however you want them to be. And in each moment, you're making a conscious choice to have the best and happiest experiences for yourself. Then that energy just floods everyone around you and makes everyone's experience even better. So it is, I, I think it's really important that people are aware that you're not stuck where you are. You, it, it may not be easy. <laughs> it's usually very difficult, but you, you can choose in any moment to make a change. And that's really important. Okay. And I've heard you talk in the past about shifting uh, the paradigm. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. What does that mean? Oh boy. Well, that's amazing because, um, so I really admire Joe Dispenza and Bob Proctor and all of these really um, intelligent and um, creative thinkers, forward thinking men and women that are out there that talk about shifting paradigms. And I think for um, everyone, if I was gonna put it in layman's terms, it would be changing your circumstances creating a new reality for yourself. Because again, oftentimes we think we are, the way we live is the way we live and we are powerless to do anything about it. And in one moment, your whole life can change and um, you can make the choice to make that change or sometimes life just does it to you. And suddenly, your whole way of being, your whole way of living completely changes for worse or for better. It's what you make of it. And I think if you are aware that if you are unhappy in your circumstances, you can take action to change them and create a much better life experience for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's interesting you say you, your life can change in in a moment and what do you think a person needs to do in order to create that moment well it's awareness it's it's really being honest with yourself as to where you are and what you want right it's it's that sometimes it happens to you and and when i say that it happens to you but it's really happening for you because it shakes up your way of being and, and gets you out of your comfort zone and helps you start moving towards a different way of being. Um, because, you know, like they say, nothing ever grows in a comfort zone. So I think that it's really, um, it's really important to be aware of what it is that you want to experience and you want to do and then put the action towards it. Okay. And then... I mean, just I'm play, playing devil's advocate. You know, there'll be people out there listening, and and they'll be thinking, "Yeah, but there's that, that I've got things buried in my subconscious, and they impact how how I think, and it's not you know, it's not my fault. I've, you know, I've got a troubled past, or I've got this particular thing that I can't quite shake off." So, what would you what would you say to that in terms of how you approach uh, a person that might have a a subconscious weight around the neck, if you if you like to use that phrase. Um, absolutely, I think that uh, we all have a lot of um, of programming. 
that have happened um, during the course of our younger lives. And sometimes we hear a lot of negative um, conditioning when we're thinking. So um, if it's rooted in your subconscious mind, then you have to take steps to um, shift that. Because when your subconscious mind is running your life, if meaning you're not consciously in the driver's seat and you have those old narratives running your life, yeah, you will be stuck in a circumstance until you become aware. Once you're aware of it, there are steps you can take to help reprogram your subconscious mind like binaural beats or um, subliminal messaging. I mean, there's tons of them on YouTube pretty much anything you want to um, reprogram yourself with. And I think that's actually a really necessary step for people who have that and who have to heal from past traumas. I myself am a child abuse survivor. So obviously that's not an ideal situation. Um, I grew up very, very poor um, and had to overcome that situation as well. Um, so of course, there were times in my life where there were things that needed to be healed, but first you have to be aware of it. You have to take a look at yourself and go, okay, yeah, I had this that happened to me. And obviously there are things that need to be healed um, stemming from that in order for me to be able to move forward. And also to recognize the symptoms of, of that. For example, um, if you have something like childhood PTSD from a difficult or traumatic upbringing, um, there's gonna be things that you need to heal and work through like um, procrastination. That's a symptom that people don't often equate to the fact that they suffered dysfunction in their youth. And they don't understand why that there's things that they actually want to do in life, but they can't seem to move in that direction. Um, but that's something that can be healed. It's just a lot of wanting to do the work, acknowledging that these bad things happened, um, taking what you can learn from it, and then um, really being willing to do the work on yourself to move forward. And part of that work is actually reprogramming your subconscious mind. Yeah, I, I, I totally get where you're coming from. And there's, you know, and not to to not to push for for information or anything like that. Kia, it's completely your choice what you choose to share and not share. It's not that type of podcast. Um, I'm just curious to know if you're comfortable sharing anything about the you know the the situation you faced as a child. The the only reason I I, I pose that question to you is because sometimes I think these these harsh examples of life and then this glowing example of a person in front of us now you know they are great examples for people that maybe just need that beacon of hope at times so that's the only reason I asked but again it's 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 your story to share not mine Chris, let me tell you, I'm an open book. <laughs> okay, anything I, you can find all of my information on Hot Topics Live. I am forever putting things out there that people think sometimes I shouldn't say. <laughs> but I say this because you never know who's going through what you went through. And you never know who, um, who your story might inspire into a better life experience. And that's what I'm about. So I'm happy to tell you that I grew up um, with two mentally ill people. Um, and my mother was, um, bless her soul, um, she had a very abusive, damaged upbringing and was unable to break the cycle. Um, and um, 
is very sad. Um, and then she, after her and my father split up, um, she developed a relationship with a Vietnam era veteran who was, um, I guess, a prisoner of war at some point. So he came with a, his own set of issues. Um, not to mention, he was probably not the best person to begin with. So it was like really complicated. Um, he was incredibly abusive. And um, the way I sort of escaped that situation was because I was considered, I don't know, quote unquote, gifted when I was a child. And I started reading very early. And by the time I started reading at three, and by the time I was six, I was reading at an adult level. My comprehension was um, quite accelerated as well. And I passed a, I won an, an, an academics medal, which allowed me to be accepted to a private school. And then I passed their um, IQ testing and was actually enrolled in the Milton Hershey School, which um, owns the Hershey Chocolate Company uh, at this time. And, um, and I was given sort of a way out of the city and so I sort of had a duality in my upbringing of um, being from Philadelphia, West Philly actually is kind of a, a little bit of a rough place. Um, where I lived wasn't terrible, but it wasn't, you know, posh. And, um, but we ourselves were very poor. So there were times, for example, we didn't have any furniture or heat or a lot of food or things like that, but our house looked nice on the outside. So you wouldn't know that from, from the outside, but on the inside, there was a lot of things that probably shouldn't have happened. Um, when my mother met this man, I was actually in an orphanage. So when I was three years old, my brother, sister, and I were sent to an orphanage for a few years while my mom got herself together after my parents split up. So I had that experience as well of being in a group home at a very early age. And then when I got back, my mom had a new boyfriend who was very abusive to her children. And, um, and they, were, they had a very um, enmeshed and unhealthy relationship dynamic. And it went on for a really long time. So my escape was actually going to private school because I was there most of the time. Um, I was only back at home on holidays and summer break. So that actually um, allowed me to have different goals. From Straight from there, I went to the military. Um, and I just continued on my path of sort of not looking back really and moving forward. But it was, it was a difficult time um, to say the least. There was a lot of uh, mental, emotional and physical abuse that took place. And obviously it wasn't ideal at the time I was experiencing it. But having had that experience and having worked through a lot of the trauma that that um, developed in me and a lot of the negative thinking and, um, and just fear, because I spent a lot of time in terror, um, would be the appropriate way to say it, and having low self-esteem and having so many issues that you have to work through when you grow up in that kind of environment um, that moving forward, it was a lot of inner work that I had to do and still do to this day to continue on my path of creating the life that I want for myself and my kids. Yeah. 
I thank you for the, for sharing that, Kia. And there's something I'm curious about actually, and it's only because, uh, funny enough, me and my wife were having a conversation about this the other day when we were out walking with the dog, is about how the conflicts that we witnessed as children influence the way we handle conflict situations as as adults. Um, and I'm curious to think how how did it how did that impact the way that you now deal with conflict well initially i could not stand conflict right i would i would i was very so i was a middle child um a daughter and the second daughter and i was a very people pleasing sort of person I didn't have the ability to set firm boundaries and I um, was sort of very meek and um, sort of like a victim, right? Like I was a person that you would see being a victim and that had to change. I had to outgrow that stuff. I had to do the work to make those changes um, within myself. And, um, and that's part of it. And, and also in relationships, my mother was um, very distrustful of men. So it sort of instills in you this, um, and you, and then also I was seeing that she was right, but it was with the men she chose, right? So um, it was kind of like an unlearning process that had to go on in order for me to really look at how I um, form attachments to people, because that's what it comes down to, right? When you witnessing these kinds of relationships and conflicts within the home and things like that, it affect, it gives you inner child wounds. And these inner child wounds affect how you form friendships and relationships with people and, and romantic partnerships. And so I think it's really about um, recognizing what your core wounds are and being able to work through the process of healing them and recognize how you are attaching in relationships and then move through that to become more healthy in that. Yeah, I think some really, really, really good insights there. And I hope that people um, can take a lot from that because I'm listening to you articulate it, you know, I can see how that's going to make sense to a lot of people. And even as you were speaking, I was thinking, yeah, no, I know what my, yeah, I, I, I remember what that wound is about. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, there's a few there. I actually didn't realize they were there. Mm -hmm. um, yes. But uh, no, so yeah, thank you again. Um, in what has got to have been, you know, like um, one of the most eventful lives that I've heard about, especially in a, a 30 minute period, there must have been maybe one standout moment, one moment that, a realization that you just that changed everything for you and i'd be curious to know what that moment was well it was probably the breakup of my marriage um of my 13 14 year relationship with my children's father and it wasn't um it wasn't exactly a long process of this relationship ending it was sudden 
<laughs> it was like one day I thought I was happy. I was a stay home mom. I had this, you know, my kids and I was taking care of my house and my husband. And that's, that was my priority. And then the next day I was like, I've got to end this marriage. <laughs> what am I going to do? I don't have a job. I haven't worked in years. <laughs> what am I going to do? So it was like one of those profound moments where almost like in an instant, the rug is pulled out from under you and your whole world comes crumbling down. <laughs> the best way I can really explain it. And I spent a week in bed. And, um, and that's because that's what I tend to do. Um, when I get really upset, I just go in my bed and I sort of think and about three days in of like crying and carrying on as you know, you would expect. I um, was like, I have got to figure my life out <laughs> because I have two kids and I can't stay in this marriage. I really can't stay in it. So um, I, I mean, this, this is a well-documented story. Probably I tell in every interview. Um, I turned on YouTube and I said in my remote motivation. And so the first thing that came up was um, this web show called Impact Theory. And the, I just clicked on the first, I didn't even care. Like I just clicked on the first thing and it happened to be a podcaster named Jordan Harbinger. And he was talking about the, the end of his um, first podcast, The Art of Charm and how he had to start everything from scratch over again. And his business partner and him had split ways And I th after 10 years. And I thought, well, you know, a business is a lot like a marriage. And if he can start over his business after such a long period of time, after a decade, I can start over too. And that was the first thing. And then I saw a thumbnail and it was um, Joe Dispenza, who I loved in What the Bleep Down the Rabbit Hole in those series. And so I said, let me see what he was talking about. And he was talking about shifting your paradigm. And so I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to change my entire life. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I know that it starts with a mindset and the willingness to, to think it, to visualize it, and then to put action behind it. Those three things I knew that's all it took to change my entire reality. And I was determined at that moment that that's what I was going to do. And that's exactly what I did. Excellent. And what do you think? I know that you just mentioned people that inspire you, like just then with Joe Dispenza, but also previously Bob Proctor. I'm curious to understand um, maybe the best piece of advice you've ever been given by a mentor or a friend or any anybody really, but a piece of advice you've gone, that'll stay with me for a long, long time. Um, there's so many, so it's really hard to pick because I love a lot of incredible people like Bruce Lipton and Greg Braden and all of these people. Um, but I think probably there were two, actually. My business mentor on that fateful trip to LA telling me, I've never heard you speak about anything the way you speak about female veterans she's like, you're so passionate about that. You should do work with female veterans. That was probably one of the best pieces of advice I ever got. The second one came from Brian Rose, actually. The first call I had with him, there was just a, a few of us on a, on a call with him the day before um, my speak. I, the first course I took with him was Speak to Inspire. And I wanted to um, hone my speaking skills 
hadn't done any speeches since college and, um, and I wanted to improve. So I had this call with him and I, I remember him telling me, you speak like you're not important. You need to slow down when you speak, you speak too fast. He said, do you think that President Obama speaks slowly um, because you know, he, it, he, he has any fears that people will walk away from him when he, he speaks, right? He doesn't have those fears. So he speaks as slow as he wants, he takes his time. He's, he's like, you speak too quickly. And that shows people that you don't think you're important. And I was like, did I just get red? Like, I, I felt so dragged. Like, I didn't know. I didn't even realize that about myself. I was completely unaware, right? And that people would perceive me that way. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in Chicago when we tend to talk really quickly to each other. And I just was blown away by that. And it probably was the best advice I ever got because I started slowing down my speech and taking my time. It's interesting. I once got a piece of advice from a, um, a director when I was acting and he said, status moves slowly. And I was like, gotcha. <laughs> so like basically moving like a turtle around for the rest of the, they're like, okay, not that slow, keep moving. <laughs> but, but, you, but you know, I get, I totally get where you're coming from. It, mm. it, make, it makes total sense. Um, I think that interesting, I want to go back right to, to the beginning of the podcast, you use the word transformation. Mm -hmm. So if there was one thing in the world that you could transform, what would you choose? Fear. I would choose fear because fear is the basis for hate. And um, hate is such a useless emotion and it, it, breeds such awful things into the world and it's so destructive and ruins lives. And um, so I think, and also fear is what stops people from living their best life as well. So I probably, I mean, you need it in certain situations. Like if you're gonna be attacked, you need that adrenaline, right? But generally speaking, I think I think I would transform the way people um, respond to fear. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I can completely get on board with what you're saying there because of just because, it, like you say, you need fear at certain times. It, it's, you know, fight or flight is it's a, mm -hmm. a mechanism we've needed in the past for good reason. But it's our lack of cognitive ability to interpret fear and either use or discard it, mm -hmm. it has this horrible habit of almost like if you're if you're in a car it's got a ho horrible habit of taking the wheel and you never asked it to but it just does it and then next you're thinking i've just done something or said something and it yeah that was brain literally shrunk to the size of a pea for that one moment because i was scared said something stupid did something stupid now i'm regretting it lovely and then you have to go some steps to either repairing that or getting up getting over that in your own mind so i think fear is a good one a really good one to choose um what do you think the when you deal with people um you know you've dealt with people in um 
enforcers and everybody experiences different types of leadership. And I'm, I think the final question I'd like to ask you is the, from the experience you had, the stories you heard, what do you think the biggest mistake in leadership tends to be? What is the pattern that you're spotting when you talk to these people? Mm. Let me think about that. That's a good one. I think that um, assumptions, preconceived notions, um, really derail proper leadership, right? I think that um, when you can really be open to a person and what they're bringing to the table um, without any um, predetermined views on them or what they've done, then you can really um, you can, you can really connect with them, right? And I think being a good leader is about connection. You need to be able to connect with a lot of different people and meet them where they're at. You know, and especially in a in a the work that I do as a success coach, you have to be able to um, motivate people. And if you can't um, connect with them, you can't really help them to move forward, right? So if you if you have any sort of preconceived notions about a person, who they're going to be, what they're going to do, you then limit yourself and the way that you will connect with them even subconsciously and then and then how can you really um how can you really help them because leadership is a lot about guidance leadership is a lot about um setting an example and leadership is a lot about being able to um get people to do what needs to be done right even in the face of resistance even in the face of um, any type of fear or self-doubt, if you can't connect with that person on some level, then you're not going to achieve anything with them. And I think um, being a good leader is about understanding people, you know, having a good awareness of how people um, maneuver, and then being able to sort of manage that. Yeah. Okay, and um, very, very uh, last question then. So where can people see more of you, Kia? Well, I'm everywhere. So you can find me on Instagram. I have uh, three accounts on Instagram, my personal account where I often provide um, tips on your healing and self-love journey, um, success tips and strategies as well. That's at Kiativity. Um, you can follow along um, at Hot Topics, the podcast, we, which is our podcast version of our live stream show, where, which you can actually watch if you're around on Wednesdays and Thursdays or anytime really on Facebook. And now YouTube, we have Hot Topics live on YouTube. We're just starting up and um, multi-streaming. And I have my podcast, of course, at the Female Veterans Podcast. You can find me there on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Uh, also at the Veterans Channel, I'm featured there um, in podcast form. 
I have an upcoming series called Women Warrior Stories. You'll find at the Veterans Channel as well. Um, coming very soon. The pilot is being worked on right now. It's in post-production. Um, let's see, Facebook, you can find me there. Like I said, um, at Hot Topics, the podcast or Hot Topics Live. And um, that's pretty much it. Oh, Twitter, the Female Veterans Podcast is on Twitter at MVET Podcast and uh, my website, thefemaleveteranspodcast.com. In summary, you are easy to find. <laughs> I'm super, super, super easy. Oh, possibly one of the most Googleable people ever. Um, <laughs> but no, that's that's great. Uh, look, I just want to say thank you for your time. Thank you for your insights and, and sharing what you have with us today, Kia. Um, but for now, I'm Chris Kirkby. You've been listening to Kia Baker as well. And this is the 23. I'll see you soon.